Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about UFC 280. Going down in Abu Dhabi, headlined by a lightweight title fight between Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev. Right now, we're talking about the prelim card, though, and a reasonably stacked eight-fight eight prelim card here. Really, obviously, made to showcase the uh, the UFC's Muslim fighters in uh, in uh, the uh, the UAE, United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. It is a reasonably stacked prelim card. I mean, this this is one of those pay-per-views that basically needs no prelims. And I suppose we yeah. should be somewhat, um, well, I hesitate to say grateful. I'm too proud to be grateful to the UFC, but <laughs> um, appreciative for the fact yeah. that they didn't just go all out on saving every possible good undercard fight for the next pay-per-view. Yeah, no kidding. Because we got so. two title fights and three great, three other, well, great two otherwise interesting fights on the main card and then at least you know four or five of the prelims are pretty good yeah and even the ones that aren't maybe great are designed to showcase some interesting talent that i want to see like there's not there's not one fight on the prelims that doesn't contain a fighter that i am interested in watching yeah for sure none of these look like um guaranteed stinkers yeah and they all yeah every single one of them features at least one cool fighter the featured prelim is what looks to be a potential welterweight title eliminator between Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady. Obviously, that's all, you know, there's a whole Hamza Chimaev what-if bubble out there. And the fact that uh, the top of the welterweight division is pretty much stacked with guys who would rather do anything than fight the mandatory number one when they could have a chance to you know, I think Leon Edwards is talking about how much he would he would love to fight Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. and obviously Jorge Masvidal is out there campaigning for another title shot. Mm-hmm. Richly deserved. Richly deserved. Mm-hmm. But uh, should all the cooler, higher paying, more fun options be off the table? Bilal Muhammad and Sean Brady are fighting for a chance to potentially get a, get a crack at the belt. Oh, yeah. I didn't even really think of that. You think yeah, they right. to Sean Brady? I don't think anyone cares. Well, that's the big problem for both of them. I think at least with Bilal Muhammad, he's like, he's definitely gained, dramatically started gaining profile for better and for worse. Yeah. In his recent fights, he's finally like put himself in the conversation. He's got his social media presence. Sean Brady is like not exciting enough to be as much of a um a sort of non presence as he is as a personality. Uh but yeah, Bilal Muhammad might get a title shot if he wins. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a compelling fight. Yeah. Very I mean, Sean Brady has been um very impressive except when he's not being very impressive at all. Yeah. There's a there's a real um there's a there's a bit of a Pat Sabatini vibe yeah. to him where you're like, you watching him and he's out grappling somebody and out wrestling them and like going after him. You're like, damn, 
this dude is the he is it. He is he is the total package. He can put he can put the screws to somebody, and then suddenly a round comes around where he's just getting tooled standing because he got a little too tired from his own success and all of his striking fundamentals just fall off a cliff the moment that happens. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he looks like a world beater. He looks like that, like Armin Sarukian style up and comer where you're just impressed by everything, except when you realize that he's like actually very tense and maybe not as confident as he appears. And yeah, perhaps like, kind of has to be bullying his opponent to look his best. Yeah. That fight he had with Michael Chiesa, his last time out, uh-huh. like, he dominated Kiesa for two rounds. Mm-hmm. And then Kiesa just kind of boxed him up in the yeah. third round. Well, to be fair, Michael Kiesa is an incredible boxer. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a great look, honestly. Yeah. And, like, um, and it's not the only one of those. I mean, there was also, I'm trying to remember which one it was, Court McGee. Yeah, Court McGee, too. Who's a perfectly competent boxer, but woefully... Um, woefully less physical than Sean yeah. Brady. Yeah. But he's still just like by remaining consistent and being there for three rounds, willing to throw hands, um, sort of made Brady look kind of unremarkable. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think Bilal Muhammad's in a pretty good position to exploit such a weakness. I mean... Well, the problem, the problem here, once again, like it was for Kiesa and for Court McGee, is this is only a three-round fight. That is exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. If this was a fight night main event, I would pick Bilal Muhammad just out of hand. I would. Oh yeah, no question. With very little, uh, very little thought, because he's one of the most consistent and consistently well prepared guys in the UFC. Mm-hmm. He comes in with a tailor made approach to virtually every opponent he faces. He's very difficult to out wrestle and out grapple which is the only phase where Sean Brady really looks confident in his abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he never deviates. He doesn't, he never gets off track. He doesn't get off track. Yeah. You can, you can knock him down. You can put him in bad positions. It doesn't matter. He's going to stay at this steady, um, steady, but not at all slow pace, just picking away. And uh, yeah, he, he's just a, an incredibly good strategic fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still, I think, ultimately going to lean towards Bilal just because I've never actually seen anyone like out wrestle Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, um, it, it is. It is notable that like all the fights is, where he's been beat have been he's been beat by better strikers who could either knock him out really quickly or would just had such a speed decisive speed edge on, over him on the feet. Yeah, that he did not have, you know, he he could not. It, it didn't matter how carefully he game planned. Right, he always had to step into range against Leon Edwards and get hit by a one-two really hard. Yeah, and even in those fights, um, you know, Muhammad is always there. Like when the game plan does go out the window, when it's lost to him, he will go out there and try to create chances. Yeah, it doesn't tend to really work because. He's not dangerous. Yeah. Um, he's not a powerful striker. He, he, he really has to rack up volume to start hurting people. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's an incredibly tough customer, even when you do have a big advantage over him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know that Sean Brady does have a big advantage over Bilal Muhammad here. 
He's yeah. he he's really like a he tends to be like a cage wrestler. Yeah, it's true. Uh, has to get people, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with strength. Like, certainly his technical expertise is more in positional grappling than it is in takedown ability. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that he fails to take many people down, uh, but he tends to have to kind of muscle them off their feet after running them all the way to the face. Yeah. It, the, the incredibly massive back muscles are always feel like a notable feature of his wrestling game. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like he's stopped like eighty uh, percent way through metamorphosizing into a moth. <laughs> the, wing, the wings just haven't quite burst out of his back yet, but they're they're, they're clearly in there. Yeah, the dude's got like Demetrius Johnson's back on a on a middleweight's body. Um, he's a tank. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean the problem with Bilal Muhammad using that approach against Bilal Muhammad is a he just has great wrestling defense. Mm-hmm. Great, great clinch wrestler, good at defending shots, but also that, uh, and I suspect this will be the approach he takes here. It can be really difficult to get him into those cornered positions. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have great evasive footwork, but he has lots of evasive footwork. Yeah, and um, he knows when that's enough to to make it a cornerstone of his strategy. Like Muhammad is a guy who will very happily pressure and push a pace on somebody. But when he's against a more slow-footed, cumbersome um, striker like, say, Vicente Luque, and he just has to skirt around and make this big clunky guy reset as often as possible, he'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I think he probably will do that to Sean Brady. I think it's going to be hard for Brady to actually find like clean entries where he can get his hands connected or get both hands around the legs to really put his strength to use. He's probably still going to overpower Bilal at some point. Yeah, there's, I, I would say there's going to be one really decisive Brady round. It might yeah. be the first. It might be the second. It probably won't be the third. Yeah, where he just backpacks Bilal uh, yeah. or gets half onto back control and just puts all of his weight yeah. on top of Bilal and, and, you know, shows no inclination to progress but doesn't need to because Bilal just can't, like, tear him off. Mm-hmm. But, um... He looks like the, a narrow enough style archetype for Bilal to game plan around. And um, he's hittable enough and awkward enough when he does get hit that even without power, I think Bilal might find what look like big moments against him uh-huh. to seal otherwise close rounds. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Bilal for uh, probably good preparation and then just lots and lots of activity and evasion. And, yeah, and otherwise really stalwart uh, wrestling defense. It's hard because I see Sean Brady out there when he hits his takedowns and he looks, he does look so damn strong. Like it's just yeah. one of those things where he gets his arms locked around somebody, even if he has to push them to the cage. And that's part of it too, is that like he has, you know, you say like the technical part of his game is much more the grappling than the wrestling. Even when he, you know, so he doesn't get the best entries on his takedowns all the time. Mm-hmm. But he puts people in places where they would normally be very hard to take down. Mm-hmm. And then he just wraps them up and takes them down. Like there's, yeah. there is an inevitability to the strength that he shows. Yeah, like very little technique required. Yeah. Like it's easy to see why he hasn't developed his takedown yeah. more because it works. Yeah. I mean, Michael Chiesa is a strong man, especially at this weight class. Yep. 
And he, yeah, he absolutely ragdolled him. It's yeah, he had like five a, of eight takedowns. Even the round three where Kiesa was boxing him up is still a round where still backpacked him for two minutes and yeah, hor- horsed him off his feet. Yeah. So it is really hard for me to think that like, man, you know, uh, Bala Muhammad can just be the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Even with ninety-one percent takedown defense, mm-hmm. he's just—he's—he's he's just not like the world's biggest, at, best athlete. Nope. But uh, I think I'm gonna follow you on this. I think it's just Brady when he gets tagged up on the feet. It just—it feels like too big. There's too big a chunk missing there, mm-hmm. and he has. You know, he, he's turned a couple of grappling, uh, heavy performances into submission wins. But I don't think he's going to submit Bilal. Mm-hmm. And Bilal is really hard to take down. He's really hard to take down, really hard to keep down. I have enough faith that, like, we could be looking at one one round where, like, a third round where Bilal lands a lot of strikes a second round where he gets backpacked a bunch and a first round where both men are feeling out the fight and Bilal just like lands more jabs. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll follow you and take Bilal to win that kind of fight. But if, if Brady comes out and puts Bilal on the mat right away and just starts building that momentum early and can do it again at the start of round two, then he could just bank two rounds. Yeah. And it won't matter if For he's all tired. His, his admirable efforts, as I said, Bilal is not really a comeback fighter. Yeah. Doesn't have the dynamism to get to, to suddenly turn a fight around. No. It's a very narrow margin. He can have a good round in the third where you're like, oh, man, he's starting to get it. He's starting to figure out all the openings he needs. He often does. He, he often does. and But he's still like, okay, but he lost the other two rounds. It, it doesn't, you know, and you're not a finisher. So you figured it out over five rounds. We would both just pick Bilal outright. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm willing to ride with you on it. I think there's too much missing for Brady's game. I feel like this is the kind of point that he's getting to where his opponent is a good enough wrestler to really test and like drag drag the worst parts of his game out of him. Yeah. But that might not be true. You know? There's a very high likelihood that this is just a kind of grappling and wrestling test that Bilal hasn't faced yet. Yeah. There it really is. It's not just most of his losses are to guys who who outstrike him or have a big speed advantage or something. It's most of his opponents aren't looking to go in there and out wrestle him. Yeah. So while he has demonstrated great defensive and offensive wrestling, great wrestling in general, um, Sean Brady is is a a test for him much in the same way that Bilal's a, a new test for Brady. Yeah. I mean his his best the best wrestler he's ever faced. By far, no question is Damian Maya at age forty-three. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that that version of Maya was slow enough to be notably like just shooting constantly and not hitting takedowns on anybody. Yeah, or even, and even then, Maya hit a takedown. Yeah, he had one. Or it's Leon Edwards who didn't uh, have to dip into his wrestling. Yeah. You know, yeah, but, yeah. it hasn't that that great takedown defense 
you know, there, there are, there are ways of looking at fights. You can be like, I don't know. I haven't seen him tested, but I can see it that, you know, in the vacuum it's in the technique is there. The reactions are there. Yeah. Clearly his wrestling is great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Brady yeah. He doesn't, Brady doesn't have to have good wrestling to out wrestle better wrestlers than Muhammad has faced. Yeah. And it is worth noting in that one fight where Maya got one takedown, he he also did get like four minutes control out of it. Yep. I think we're looking at a clear Brady round, even if Muhammad wins. Yeah. So it'll be an interesting fight. It'll be, I like it, you know, it's a good test. It's a, it's, it's a great test because it's the kind of fight that Muhammad hasn't really faced. And it's a big step up for Sean Brady. Mm-hmm. So... Odds on the bout, Bilal Muhammad is a very narrow underdog, opened at minus 225, jumped up to plus 104, is currently at plus 114. Sean Brady opened at plus 190, dropped to minus 127, is currently at minus 140. Close enough for me. Yeah, that's fine. All right, that brings us to a middle middleweight bout. Mahmoud Muradov, Kyle Bohayo. And... Um, it's a middleweight fight, so mm-hmm. as is so often the case with these middleweight bouts, you just kind of, whose amazingly one-dimensional game do you have more faith in being a more finished product? On the one hand, you've got Mahmoud Muradov, who really just wants to go out there and box with people. He's got the speed, he's got the uh, some of the footwork, he's got the offensive footwork. He's got, you know, the uh, the power to really shock a lot of people right out of the gate. But we've also now seen at this point, uh, if you can put him on his back foot, that game really does start to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Like, just through sheer strength of will, Gerald Mearshart survived getting dropped like three times. And was just like, what if I just keep pushing forward and I'm there to counter you every time you throw a one-two? And it won him the fight, you know? Mm-hmm. It trapped Muradov into a point where he, you know, he had to, he, he was getting cracked where he was, he was breaking because he put so much investment into his speed and then his, his ability to get in and get out, land something and get out. And if you keep putting him in positions where he can't get out, you're backing him to the cage. His defense is not prepared. His, his confidence is not prepared for that. And on the flip side, you've got Kyle Bahio who is just out there. Like, I'm not going to have a dumb fight with you where I strike. I'm not going to do anything other like, I, I, if I can go out there and hit a big takedown on you, that's all I'm going to do. If you show me a sign that I can get in on your hips, I will do that over and over again. And uh, he's got this sort of funky, uh, like everybody who's tried to copy Leoto Machida, Leoto Machida style, where you're like, yeah, that's like... <laughs> two or three of the core elements that Leoto Machida had that nonetheless... Good job. Yeah, that nonetheless entirely fails to 
take advantage of the exact things that made Leota Machida good. Yeah, which also, you know, happened to themselves be taking advantage of the exact era and division yeah. in which he was fighting. Yeah, I mean, Machida had to change a lot when he dropped to middleweight. He sure did. And Bohio is out there just sort of riding Machida classic mm-hmm. in a very, like, what if I don't throw a counter every time you step in? Yeah, kind Machida, of way. Machida classic, but also the beta version of Machida yeah. classic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like that, you know, those those playtest versions of games that LucasArts would th- would send out way back in the day where you'd like play what the opening the opening frame scene of like Day of the Tentacle or <laughs> you know stuff like that and you'd be like oh I've I've done a couple of pieces to solve how this game might go and then you realize you actually can't go anywhere or do anything else because <laughs> I never expected I'd hear Kyle Bahalia compared to the Monkey Island 2 demo. Right. <laughs> but, but there you it. are but i get it yeah yeah sort of like what you you will the listeners will hear you say about uh about sean o'malley all of the leota machida imitators uh succeed when the opponent believes them yeah that there's this impression that they're slick and you're going to run into trouble if you get too reckless chasing them and then if you just like decide to fuck around and find out it, it kind of works yeah, you find out you can hit them really hard. Yeah, although like actual Leota Machida Classic, uh, a huge core of Bahalio's game, more so than Machida, is actually the grappling. So yeah. there's something worse to run into than uh, than uh, whatever his striking actually is if you do get too reckless. I am going to pick Bahalio here. Mm-hmm. The big thing is that I think he's got a really single-minded confidence to his game mm-hmm. that is going to put Muradov on the back foot. Mm-hmm. And as long as he does that, he takes away most of what makes Muradov really dangerous. And, at, you know, at that point, the, it probably is going to let him get in on the takedowns he wants. He's, he's a good takedown artist. He's a good wrestler and a very lockdown, unchancy grappler. Yeah. And I think he can drag a boring fight. I think he can drag a grind out of Muradov. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll really be on Muradov to change the tempo of the fight with lots of pressure and aggression and a willingness to walk in on Bohio and stuff shots while, while throwing. Mm-hmm. So he's got Muradov has the speed to do that for a little bit. Like he, he can come right out of the gate and land a one, two and have his hands down in position to stuff a shot. He has that kind of speed. But you have to respect that out of him for it to kind of work. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Bahia will respect that. I think he'll just, he can push him against the fence and put him, make this fight really ugly and slow it down and then get to the point where Muradov has lost that edge on his game. Yeah. I, I think if I, if I didn't know him to be a pretty effective takedown artist, um, I would really lean Muradov here. Mm-hmm. Bahalio is really kind of a, a non-entity on the feet. Yeah, yeah, he really is. And um, Muradov is more than capable of filling space. And I don't think he's as, you know, that, that Gerald Mearshart uh, loss looks bad. But Mearshart's, uh, he has put some serious craft in his hands. Yeah, and, and Mearshart has a 
a wild confidence and aggression. He's capable of doing, I mean, what he did in that fight yeah. was a really courageous and reckless approach mm-hmm. that, uh, that yeah, did like put the question to how slick are you actually? Yeah. And uh, I don't think Bahalio has the capability to do that with his striking. Like, no, he, he certainly does not. I'm not even super confident he'll be that willing to pressure. And if he doesn't, I think this is going to be very difficult for him. Yeah, if he doesn't pressure, Muradov will almost certainly take a really hard fight to him. Yeah, because Muradov is agile. He's very fast. Yeah. He's more than powerful enough to to put a scare on someone like Bahalio, um, mostly just because he is so fast. Um, But yeah, I, I think as long as Bahalio does recognize that he can even without putting much out there, back Muradov into the cage. Muradov is just a little too willing for his own good to go on the back foot. Mm-hmm. Um, then the takedowns are going to be there for him. Yeah, that's my feeling. That's about it. Odds on the bout. Muradov is the underdog here. Opened at plus 170. Jumped up to plus 230. Is currently down at plus 167. Ohio opened at minus 200, dropped to minus 270. It's currently up at minus 204. Yeah, I'm okay with this fight getting closer. Ohio is uh, young. He's pretty, uh, you know, inexperienced out there. 13 fights. He's 29. He's not actually that young. He's just, he's he's really kind of only shown up on the uh, radar of anybody lately, I suppose. It's more... Uh, to be more precise, but he, uh, you know, I, I'm not at all like he's only five foot ten, Bahio, so he's not even huge in the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good chance that his game runs into something that runs it, you know, into a point where it doesn't work. I just think it, it's middleweight, so you uh-huh. know, being being only good at one very specific thing, it gets you a long way. <laughs> it takes you far. Yeah, as we, as we know. All right. Uh, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout. Nikita Krylov, Volkan Uzdemir. Oh, boy. And I... Boy, yeah, I, oh, boy. <laughs> I like this fight, honestly. I love this match. Yeah. This is one of my favorite fights on the entire card. Yeah. Um, And it's such a light heavyweight fight. Yeah. Um, man, all the power, all the speed, none of the durability or <laughs> cardio. It's just how light heavyweight rolls. Yeah. I almost, I mean, I think at first glance, I look at this matchup and I lean Nikita Krylov mm-hmm. for sheer balls. <laughs> like just the way he fought Gustafson was so stupid uh, that it was brilliant. Mm hmm. He was like, Augustuson was like looking fine, way better than I've seen him look in recent fights, which is not saying all that much. Yeah. You know, he looked like he got in some trouble and he was on his way to like recovering and settling in. It was, it was yeah. looking like the beginning of a veteran performance. Carla was like, no, I don't believe no. you. Bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he just kept hitting him in every position from which it was possible to hit him. And that works against Uzdemir. It does. You go out there and you take an absolute war to Vulcan Uzdemir. Yeah. You you can break him. You can he, you can really put a scare into Uzdemir without 
much other than just the confidence to engage with him. Yeah. Just showing that you're willing to stand toe to toe. Um, you're willing to fight him everywhere the fight goes. And that is, by the way, another great sign for Krylov in this fight that he's, he's such a willing um, wrestler and grappler um, that he at least has some switch ups mm-hmm. that, that like favor him in a way that they may not have against somebody like Gustafson. Although I don't know how solid Gustafson's defensive or offensive wrestling are anymore. No, I think Gustafson is uh I think there's a lot of there's a facade uh, enough facade of Gustafson left to probably make him feel like things go pretty well in training. Yeah. And then I think that breaks down really quickly these days. Yeah. Did you you saw I mean they 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 made Gustafson versus OSP. Yeah. And they build it as canny marketing here two of the most seasoned light heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought you your car your yeah, Rome these, made Carthage one of the most seasoned Mediterranean cities. Yeah, these guys are two of the most seasoned light heavyweights, much in the way that Carthage is one of the most seasoned Mediterranean cities. <laughs> Faulted the earth. Yep, it is technically seasoned. I <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I really lean Krylov just for that, just for the psychological edge that yeah. Ustamir has not looked technically bad. Um, no. In his recent fights, I mean, and, and also when people have failed to follow up on putting a scare into him, he has shown like he's more collected and he's more put together and he's he's more calm about his approach than ever before. Yeah, he's he's ha- he's having maybe a bit of like a Charles Oliveira renaissance where like he's been scared enough times now that he realizes, oh, like that's not actually enough to beat me. I can yeah. survive. I can fight my way back in. I'm a really capable, well-rounded fighter. Yeah. And I'm dangerous too. I can mm-hmm. scare people. I can hurt people. But Paul Craig literally had to beg him to win the fight. <laughs> you know, Paul Craig was super aggressive and was aggressively falling on his ass every 30 seconds. And Uzdemir did not have the wherewithal to take him up on that offer. Here, please beat me. Uh, until like... Uh, Literally, he could no longer escape the guard attempts. He's like, I guess I'm going to punch this guy in the face. And then he started wrecking Craig even on the ground. Yeah. Um, He had to be strongly persuaded to win. That has been, there has been an overcorrection in Ozdemir's game to that degree after, after the Cormier loss and the Anthony Smith loss. Yeah. Uh, he is more patient, more calm, more collected, and it's been at times to a fault. The Dominic Reyes fight, the Alexander Rakic fight, the Magomed yeah. Ankalaev fight, the Paul Craig fight. They're all fights where he was willing to let large amounts of time pass without putting nearly enough offense together. Yeah, he has kind of lost the ability to accept the risk that comes with like going out there and taking the fight to your opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's still likely to like buzz Krylov at some point. Yes, Krylov has no defense. He's going to run right into punches, and Uzdemir is going to be made to throw. Yeah, this Krylov is to some extent going to beg Uzdemir to fight him back, and and it might lead to a win. It is notable that uh, in Krylov's now looking very very good split decision loss in 2019 to Glover Teixeira. Yeah. It was actually Glover Teixeira winning the boxing exchanges and Nikita Krylov winning the wrestling exchanges. Yeah, that's insane. 
Um, yeah, Glover boxed his ass off, actually. Yeah. <laughs> he really did. So the opening's right there, but um, the thing is, is like I, I think what Ustamir really wants, uh, because a big part of him winning like that Paul Craig fight was that Craig shattered himself. Yeah. In, in the effort of making Ustamir beat him, you know, he beat himself as well. And like, yeah. it, it became pretty easy for Ustamir to just take the wins wherever they were presented. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't Krylov. Krylov is is in his insanity quite consistent mm-hmm. and capable of maintaining a pretty good pace and welcoming risk wherever he can find it at all times. And um, so I think the fact that, yes, he's going to run, the, run in there. Yes, he's going to get hit. He might possibly get badly hurt. I don't think he's going to get scared off and that or tired. And that's what I think Uzdemir needs to actually turn the fight around. Mm-hmm. So I expect a strong um, rabid animal start from Krylov to be enough of a to be enough inertia early on for him to 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 win here. I think I'm going to take Ozdemir, yeah. and the biggest thing for me is that I still have yet to see Nikita Krylov win a fight. Uh, with perhaps you know where where he's not getting an, a quick KO. Sure. Um, where he doesn't have a decided wrestling advantage. That has actually been like the big uh, sort of secret background of Nikita Krylov since he got since he left the UFC voluntarily. Yeah. And uh, went on to the regional scene. Um, and then came back. Was that. He has to he his his comfort zone, the thing that makes him uh, able to maintain his wildness and to maintain his momentum in the fight is his ability to take people down and get on top of them. Mm-hmm. And he's not such a great wrestler that I don't think Ozdemir can stuff him. Especially not early. And if he can stuff Krylov early, then I think that Volkan Ozdemir can land big enough shots in each round to make up for the volume that Krylov is putting out there. Yeah. And I think it'll be a thin, a narrow fight, a fight where you're like, man, Ozdemir, every time you hit this guy, it looks like it hurts him. Do more of that. But refrain in Ustamir's last yeah, six yeah. fights. But I will take it to get to squeeze out a very narrow, ugly win where Krylov is like also for large stretches just like pushing Ozdemir into the fence on a double leg that he's not getting and he just won't let it go. <laughs> yeah. So I'll take Nikki I'll take Vulcan Ustamir. Yeah. I don't know. I think um, Ustamir is certainly a solid enough defensive wrestler, but it's also it doesn't get tested all that often. Yeah, um, and Krylov he will just go for it over and over and over. Again. Yeah, I, if, I'm... if Paul Craig had literally attempted one takedown, he might have won that fight. No, Paul Craig it, it attempted like twenty. He, I mean, attempted. Yeah, I mean, not reaching for the legs and then falling over. 
without even making Uzdemir sprawl. Yeah. Like if he had driven for a takedown, if he'd run Uzdemir to the fence, if he had made him fight for balance, made him expend energy fighting off the takedowns, um, you know, Anthony Smith out wrestled and out grappled Uzdemir. He was 0 for 15. Huh? Well, Craig was 0 for 15. But yeah, yeah. Anthony, but, but I'm saying, you know, yeah. not just the numbers. They're, they weren't real takedown attempts. They yeah. were disguised guard pulls. Yeah, it should I be noted. We'll try to force Uzdemir off his feet. Anthony Smith's only takedown was in the third round. It resulted in one minute and 23 seconds of top control. Mm-hmm. And it's, a submission. And a submission, yeah. But, yeah, it's totally possible. I'm just... I think Krylov is his his style of takedown is like it's it's all about manicness over yes. technique. Everything he does is about. And I think that Ozdemir can be his new patient version of him can deal with that in a yeah. way that like Krylov is not such a physical beast in the way of Jiri Prochaska that he's just gonna like suck him into a fight that. Uzdemir feels totally overwhelmed by it. He might, but I don't think so. So I would like to see that. I mean, I don't think Uzdemir's been like acting like a guy on his way out, like a guy yeah. who's close to shot. And I don't think like physically he is. No. At all. Um and and yeah, he he could very well have a, a late stage of his career where he kind of just rediscovers his confidence, like figures figures out once again, oh, when people push me, I don't I can destroy them. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually really good. Ustamir is a really solid fighter. He is. Uh, but he, he does just look shook. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a bad mindset to have against Karloff. But I'm, I totally see your point. I think it's it's why I like the matchup so much. It's yep. a real real coin flip. Karloff opened at minus 188, jumped up to minus 176, currently minus 177. Not a lot of movement on that. Ustamir opened at plus 140, currently at plus 145. So... Nobody's betting on that fight. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I I think Krylov, for the just the the gusto, yeah, is uh, is is uh, worth being a small favorite, but no more than that. Yeah, it's it's always tough because Krylov like he throws himself into every fight, and that is is his success and his failure. You know, like the Paul Craig, he was beating Paul Craig's ass. You go back and watch that. He lands like five, he postures up and lands like five punches, bouncing Paul Craig's head off the canvas. Mm-hmm. And Craig like even goes like looks like he he's about to go limp for a couple seconds. And you're yeah. just like, this fight is over. It's done. There's yeah. no question. And then he just gets submitted. <laughs> <laughs> I love light heavyweight. <laughs> it really. It's awesome. It really is amazing. Like, <laughs> the only division where like one grappler <laughs> can run through like five dudes who are totally physically capable of killing him Everybody only to then do. just get completely detonated by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is truly like just raw matchmaking, one of the best matchups in the whole card. Yeah. Seems so competitive and so unpredictable. Totally. Love it. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Zubara Takugov, Lucas Almeida. And um, I guess Lucas Almeida is a substitute here, I think. Uh, Was he? Maybe he's not. 
Yeah, um, let me see. Because uh, I don't know why they made this fight, frankly. Tapology says Tukugov was scheduled to fight Nate Landwehr in okay. August. Okay, so that bout got canceled because of Tukugov withdrew, probably due to visa issues, knowing all those Russian fighters are struggling hard to get visas in the U.S. Yeah. And so Almeida was probably the dude willing to to step up and be like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll fight that guy in, yeah. uh, in, Dubai, in Abu Dhabi. Why not? But without knowing when exactly the contract was signed, he's, he's probably had at least a full month. Yeah. If not close to two. Yeah, it's not short notice in that way. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what happened yeah, yeah. to make the UFC book this fight? Yeah. Because... Lucas Almeida's fun. This will be a fun fight. He goes out there. He's got a lot of fun offensive tools. He throws like that classic Brazilian power Muay Thai game. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sharp, fast punches and kicks. Really heavy on the kicking game. Really snappy with his punches. Willing to step in and stand in the pocket. Get a little rote and mechanical. Get hit really hard on the return. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he stays after it, you know, mm-hmm. he's confident and he's willing to go after that game and super busy with the, with the low kicks. Yep. And Kugov is, you know, he's kind of got that archetypal, uh, Dagestani Sambo style. Yep. The Sambo striking. He is not the deepest wrestler you've ever seen in your life. He's not the deepest grappler you've ever seen in your life. He's not the deepest striker you've ever seen in your life. But man, is he strong and fast, and he can pull any one of those things out at any time. Yeah, he is an incredible athlete. Yeah, and just he can pull out a single trick that you won't expect. It'll be like, oh, here's a corkscrew overhand delivered from five feet away Mm -hmm. that just absolutely wrecks you. Or... Here's a power double leg where he lifts you off the ground, carries you around the cage, and then slams you into the mat. Mm-hmm. And then immediately, like, takes your back and, or, like, handcuffs you into the wrestling ride and then doesn't really do a lot and mm-hmm. kind of lets you up and gets a little tired and goes for that same lunging overhand again. And you're kind of like, well, I just saw this. Like, I, I know what to do with this this time. And, you know, serious steam can be taken off of Tukugov's game if you've got a really deep style that you can depend on and have the confidence to stand in and deliver it. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's Lucas Almeida. Almeida has a good striking game and he has the confidence to stand in and deliver that. But that's not like he got seriously, seriously hurt against uh oh man what's his name um trezano mike trezano in their fight like just stepped in on a strike got countered hard dropped in a heap and it was remarkable that he managed to turn that around and get the win yeah i mean he was to be fair he was mostly dominating the fight yeah just like these, these, these. I think there were even a couple moments where he just got nailed. Yeah, uh, being way too wild and completely unaware defensively. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like it's yeah. not 
his style, he's got the tools to go out there and hurt Takugov, but he doesn't have the awareness to stop Takugov from hurting him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't have the awareness to stop Daniel Zellhuber from hurting him or from, you know, beating him either over three rounds on the Contender Series. And we just saw Zellhuber go out and get, like, frozen in place by Trey Ogden. Um, Trey Ogden, Zane, I mean... <laughs> Put some respect on that creative fighter name. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got to take Takugov. I think he's going to he he's gonna get like a scare put in him early, maybe. He's going to have Lucas Almeida come out and blast him with some low kicks, land a couple of sharp hooks. Mm-hmm. And then he's just going to hit him with an overhand or slam him to the mat with a takedown and start sucking the life out of the fight and start draining uh, Almeida's gas tank. And, I think there's a slim chance here that I'm oh, sorry. Finish, finish. No, yeah, and, and then like you know, I, I just got to pick him over, over multiple rounds. To he, it also helps for Takugov, like against Ricardo Hamos. Uh, he looked notably more controlled and consistent. He did. You know, he was really picking his spots well in that fight, and never, never let Hamos have a chance to turn a moment to to turn the fight and the momentum with his own moment of exciting offense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a slim chance that um, Almeida can um, make up for what he lacks in like Hakeem Daudu's slickness Mm -hmm. with output and insistence. Sure. Um, Like, uh, if I hadn't seen that Hamosh fight, actually, I, I don't. I, I don't think I would pick him. I, I think just being prone to uh, such like horrible round losing moments. Yeah, uh, moments that against a guy like Takugov, uh, unlike like Mike Trezano, may very well just be a fight losing moment. Yeah. Um, if you weren't prone to those, then I might be like, yeah, you know, he's going to put a lot of work out there, Takugov. Hmm has uh, let long stretches of fight just kind of slip by before. Yeah, it is and really, like, the, like I say, his his style, at least in the past, and maybe it's taking a big step forward, maybe it's not, but in the past, it's been a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and missing all of the connecting pieces, like yeah. whether it's footwork, whether it's feints, whether it's, you know, more than one punch at a time, like all the little interstitial things that that connect those big moments and set them up or follow up on them Tukugov has often lacked those mm-hmm. and only because he's such an incredible athlete has he like skated by a lot of Tukugov's wins would have been losses yeah without some of those moments a lot, uh, several I mean, of those he blew wins. Lerone Murphy out, out of the water for a round in his yeah. day in Murphy's debut yeah and then ended up with a draw for his trouble. Yeah. And he's had plenty of other like split decisions, like fights mm-hmm. where he hasn't really found any big moments, but he's been like menacing enough and mobile enough that the opponent hasn't been able to force anything on him. Yeah. Um, Almeida is very active and presents a really diverse striking attack, mm-hmm. body kicks, leg kicks, combinations, jabs. Um, and he strings his strikes together really well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's both the fact that he gets dropped by everyone, 
um, to, to the extent that, yeah, maybe a guy like Takugov just cleans his clock with one of those openings. Mm-hmm. And also that Takugov looked really good in his last fight. Yeah. He went out there and, you know, maybe that's just Hamush is a fighter who is particularly susceptible to being pressured. Mm-hmm. But I still wouldn't have expected Takugov to go out there and just consistently and intelligently pressure him the way he did. Yeah. Um, Takugov looked finally like he has seriously gained something uh, with all the experience he has. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you got to pick Takugov. I think it'll I still like the matchup. I think it'll be very fun. All the moments Takugov isn't wrecking Almeida, Almeida is going to be putting strikes on him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. And it's also the wrestling, too. It has to be yeah. considered like just a shockingly quick takedown. And um, even Trezano had some wrestling success against Almeida. So yep. got to pick Takugov. Odds on the bout. Kugov is a favorite, not a wide favorite, not nearly as wide as I would have expected. He actually started out as an underdog, opened at plus 130, and immediately was adjusted down to minus 140, currently out at minus 159. Almeida, yeah, Almeida opened at minus 150, jumped up to plus 125, is currently at plus 130. Like, I get that Almeida's fun, but... So Kugov doesn't even have to fight well to win. He's yeah. Proven, he's proven that his whole UFC career. Yeah. I'm I'm a little shocked by this because Lucas Almeida is, you know, he's he's the kind of like uh Danny Chavez, uh oh damn it, who's that other guy they brought back recently? Um Sean Serrano. Oh yeah, yeah. Kind of guy where like you watch him get a chance to just strike with somebody you're like, damn, this dude's a lot of fun. And then you're like, okay, yeah, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of other parts missing here that other yeah. fight, you know, at this level, those guys tend to come and go pretty quick. Is he notably better than Kevin Aguilar or Hiroto yeah. Hamosh? No, I don't think so. Is he, is he better than Douglas De Silva, who Takugov also beat? Like no way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Takugov is a, like I said, even when he fights badly, a very difficult guy to look good against. Yeah. Super dangerous. So, yeah, I'm a little surprised that the odds are skewed the way they are there. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Abubakar Nurmagomedov, uh, Abubakar Nurmagomedov. I'll put stresses on the right syllable. Um, against Godzi Ermagurdziev. Ermagurdziev. Um, yeah, I'm going to take Nurmagomedov here. Um, Nurmagomedov is cumbersome. Yeah. He's, he's fairly flat-footed. He's not a polished striker. Uh, Nurmagomedov, I think, is one of those guys who is uh, sort of awaiting a, a rude awakening. I, I mean, he's, he's already had a couple. Well, fair. Yeah, I, I still don't. I don't think he's quite as slick as he still thinks he is. Mm. Um, but he can play the part of Matador in a matchup like this. Yeah, he moves a lot. He's got a good, quick, um, and consistent jab, and. I think that's probably enough to just kind of lead a guy like Omar Gachiev around by the nose and, and sort of just stay out of trouble, stay out of the pocket whenever he wants to. And in those matchups, I know there was a, there was a whole new layer of uh, wrestling that 
Bargaggia faced against uh, Bahalio. Mm-hmm. But um, it's like the more he's one of those guys you just he just gets visibly desperate. Yeah. And, and makes, you know, takes huge swings without any setup and, and just leaves really, really big openings. Yeah. His and, game is entirely based around his ability to get somebody to the mat and start out grappling them. Yeah. Um, and and denied that. I mean, I think uh, Nurmagomedov's footwork is enough that uh, he can just sort of stay out of the out of shot range. And denied those openings. Omergadjev is really messy. So. Yeah, I I do have a moment's caution here because mm-hmm. like it should be noted, Jared Gooden was like the perfect opponent. He's the perfect opponent that if you have like a slightly patient and practiced striking style. Jared Gooden's gonna make you look really great because all he does is step into the step into the pocket and look to create exchanges with his head perfectly online. So if you're like, oh, I'll, I I don't want to stay in the pocket, I'm going to step out of the pocket and still throw strikes. He will be there to hit every single time, mm-hmm. no question. Um, and. Ermagadziev, uh he doesn't, you know, he, he's not interested in being in, like, if he's in striking range, it is only for the instant to, like, land an overhand and try to get in on takedown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as practiced as uh, Nurmagomedov is through his namesake and his uh, long-term... Uh, you know, uh, lineage, he's just not a very good athlete. Oh, is he one of the ones who actually is related to Khabib? He's his cousin. Okay. I, yeah. I kind of forget because there's like 1,900 Nurmagomedovs. Yeah, yeah. He he is a, he, he's a cousin who was raised as a brother. Like, he, he was raised with Abdul Manap as his dad, basically. Okay. And Habib as his brother. Habib calls him his brother. And he just doesn't have the same level of athleticism. No. And nor is he an, an Islam Makachev of great technical precision. Yeah, although I would say he's more technical standing than Habib, you know. Oh, yeah. He has like, to be. But he's yeah, still, he has he's, he's not that uh so well rounded and precise that he can I mean, you know, the dude got dragged to an ugly draw by yeah and that's kind of my that's kind of the thing though is it like Ermagadziev is a former middleweight who's 6-1 mm-hmm. if he can tangle uh, Nurmagomedov up on the ground he can get him really tired sure and this is you know he's been submitted twice yeah he has fought to a draw with Boyan Velichkovich um there is a lot of opportunity there for uh, Ermagadziev to to really uh, make this fight to to find just find a submission to to out to out grapple him to out wrestle yeah, him and out just break out him down work, yeah and, and break him down TKO him for sure. So I still, but I I have too many I I, I have too many general questions about Ermagadziev's game. Mm-hmm. Uh in general, like he, he is definitely one of those things where his record was just built on like this 
really thin series of can-crushing performances where he was just a much better grappler and wrestler. He's got a... Dude has a round one TKO by refusal to fight. I (laughs) guess. You know? Against somebody who was 17 and 8. So not (laughs) even somebody who, like, didn't have any experience or anything. At 1.30, refusal to fight. So right in the middle, the guy just, like, turned his back and, and shook his head and said, I'm done? Yep. Okay. So. Yeah, I mean... You know, Bahalio, I think, was particularly poised to make Omar Gajiev look really bad. Yeah. Because he's like a wall for the one thing that Omar Gajiev actually does. Yeah. No, no, it's questionable how well he does it. But the one thing he's confident in doing, completely inaccessible to him there. Yeah. But the bigger problem, I think, is that he actually did make Kayo look like Lyoto Machida. Yeah. He just got lit up in exchanges. And yeah. Ohio is not that effective a striker. He was just, you know, every single thing that is an omagaji of crushing someone on the ground is really messy. Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll stick with Nurmagomedov as well here, just off of that. But it is like I, I I the caution in my voice is around the idea like Jared Gooden is primed to make uh, Nurmagomedov look like a much more effective striker in a number of ways than anyone else might yeah that's true you know he's just exceptionally stiff and one note in his striking not just upright but head first yeah yeah he's yeah for like those guys who's not just hittable but every time you hit him it looks even cleaner than it was yeah he's got some of that uh some of that um Oh, I'm forgetting his name. Patrick, whatever. Pat Cummins. Yeah. Pat, Pat Cummins uh, effect. Yeah. All right. Odds on the bout. Nurmagomedov opened. He is the favorite. Opened at minus 180 and was sticking pretty much right flat there until a couple days ago when he shot from minus 180. Well, I shouldn't say shot. It's the the, the scaling on these graphs is different for everyone. Right. So. In, in fact, a very minor amount of line movement. He went from minus 180 to minus 172. <laughs> but it <laughs> looks shot from 180 to 170. I know. You look at the you look at the the graph as it is on best fight odds. Yeah. And it looks like it just like because that's all that it's moved. So we're really we're really zoomed in. On this, yeah, we're really zoomed. The, the line has changed almost none since it opened. So even a little change, even though it's been open a month, looks huge. Yeah. So, uh, it's surprising just that this dude is an actual relative of Khabib's. Yeah. And no one's uh, just slavishly dropping money on him. Yeah. You know why? It's because his own. It's because Abdul not used to bury him all the time. Just be like, <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> work hard enough. He doesn't take it seriously enough. He does, you know, he's not <laughs> oh. ready. Yeah. Oh, no. He was the disappointing son. Yeah. Even though he was also like a combat Sambo champ and he actually had a much more difficult early run in like MMA to go through than Khabib did. And it was just like, what? Like he, this dude had to fight Magomed Mustafaev in like his fifth pro fight. Get the kid a break. You know, and then he went over to the PFL and like, or the to world series of, of fighting and like fought a bunch of legit dudes there. You know, he's actually had a pretty tough road, but 
he he doesn't he doesn't fight a lot because I'm sure he doesn't have to you know with Khabib's legacy and being like yeah. all ever present around in his entourage. Uh, Ermagadziev opened at plus one fifty five and is currently down at plus one forty one. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Armin Petrosian, AJ Dobson, and um. Yes, this is a pretty solid booking. Mm-hmm. Feels like appropriate. That. Yep, very appropriate. Petrosian, he flew out of the he flew out of the gate with a then questionable and still impressive, but feels even more like he didn't get the win decision over Gregory Rodriguez. Now, like it's weird that like you know that fight was only a few months ago, but. Yeah. At the time, it was like, yeah, did Petrosian really win that fight? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And then the time since, you've seen we've seen Rodriguez just do better and better. And now you it feel it's it's one of those weird things where it feels like instead of an, a fighter's future success giving that win more value, mm-hmm. it now just feels like I look at this split decision more and more and be like, nah, he didn't win that. Yeah. Like we we all know. That wasn't a that wasn't a that wasn't a win for Petrosian. It, it was a good effort, but he it was also a fight where like he he only, he if he did win it, and I don't think it's unfair to give him that decision. No, I don't think it was at the time either. It was only in the most sporting sense possible. Yeah, like all the big stuff that you 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 want to happen that you think wins fights uh, happened on Gregory's side. Yeah, and Armin just like kept working consistently and stayed tough for three rounds. Again, very yeah. credible performance for a guy yeah, who was... Yeah, two to one. It's, it's, it, you know, it's hard statistically to make an argument, yeah. an easy argument for Rodriguez. Yeah, except that he, you know, every time he got hit clean, he was like teeth flying out of his mouth and... Yeah. Um, so yeah, he showed his toughness. He showed that he does have the ability to go three hard rounds and do enough to, uh, to win and it, it's, yeah, very credible, but also... Um, is that a style that is going to continue netting you wins? Not at the Rodriguez level. Yeah. Which is why this feels more appropriate. Yeah. And he's in here taking on AJ Dobson, who he feels, I mean, both men are, I think Dobson to me feels more considerably more like a fighter who has stepped in further over his head than he realized. For sure. Like, Petrosian, he's got a busy, practiced, you know, sort of kickboxing uh, volume style that it feels, you know, he's going to improve on it. He's going to grow in that style. He could use other aspects to his game. But, he, you know, you give him another year and he's just going to be further down the road on that style. Yeah. Dobson is a little bit more like unformed clay here. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, oh, yeah, you can hit some really hard one-twos, and you have some bullying clinch work, and you're physical, mm-hmm. and you're strong, but I don't know if you know what you're good at yet. No, well, clearly, I mean, when he fought Malcoon, he was still figuring things out, and he did show some new looks. Yeah. But they were not sustainable, because mm-hmm. he, he's just learning them now. So yeah. So it's the question of not just, you know, he's, he's obviously a great athlete, it's not just a question though of like how much can you learn quickly. It's 
is is it going to be in any of it going to be enough for it to stick? Yes. Yeah. All the fights are going to be hard. That's why I say like he doesn't it doesn't feel like he knows what he's good at yet. He hasn't found an area where he's just always comfortable. Yeah. He's finding things he has success with, but you know, there's a big reason like there's a reason that the the blue chip native to MMA never done anything other than MMA fighters still don't feel like the best prospects that this sport has to offer where we're still, why we're still slather, you know, slathering over the idea of Bo nickel. Yeah. Coming into the sport as this great accredited wrestler or, you know, looking at Izzy Adesanya running to UFC championship in six fights and, you know, guys like Chase Hooper are like, on a really slow road, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And it's because you come in without like a single dedicated, absolutely rock solid, I can always depend on this skill base, and other fighters will have that and punish you. They will trap you because you're not such a great takedown artist. That you can hit takedowns on somebody who has only been practicing takedown defense for a year. Or you're not such a great grappler that, you know, some some kickboxer who has just been, like, working on rear naked choke defense and giving up his back to stand is going to pay every time they do that against you. Mm-hmm. And then you have to kickbox with them. And I kind of wonder if that's what's going to happen to Dobson here. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think he actually does have, like, an amateur uh, wrestling background. But uh, let's see, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how. Um, yeah, I don't know how dedicated that ever was. And uh, he, let's see, he he wrestled in high school, and yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna pick Petrosian here because that's kind of the way I see this going. It's just that like Dobson might have some great success on the feet. Might have some great success in the clinch. Might hit some takedowns. But Petrosian will fight back. He'll fight his way to his feet. He'll fight hard to get the fight where he wants it. And then he's a practiced volume striker. Yeah. And I, I think exactly what Petrosian showed against Rodriguez is um, what should carry him to victory here. That he's, he's proven that he can hang tough. He can take a hell of a licking. Yeah. Uh, and keep keep stay very consistent with his output. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's also Dobson's also one of those fighters. Maybe he will just figure it out, you know, like the the right amount of sparring and drills in the gym. And he's, he's very young in his career. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Bahia, we were just coming off a fight where Bahio, Kyle Bahio locked down Petrosian for 10 minutes. And we've talked Bahio is a very good positional grappler. Yes. But maybe, you know, maybe Dobson can go out and hit takedowns and, like, maybe he can hold him down for three minutes around, or for two minutes around. Yeah, maybe. Although I also don't think that is... Uh, I don't think it's the fight Dobson wants to have. Exactly, yeah. This yeah. is kind of a guess, and maybe he will reveal himself to be a strategic thinker who will, you know, follow the game plan necessary to win as easily as possible. Mm-hmm. But so far... um he wants. He looks like he wants to do exciting shit. Yeah, and I think 
even if he does go out there and I'm not convinced he's going to go out there and, and try to leverage a wrestling advantage if he has one. But even if he does try that path, you know, like Gregory Rodriguez is a much better wrestler and grappler than Petrosian, but his yeah. approach to those positions was to go for the coolest submission possible. And yeah. Petrosian was able to survive and escape quickly as a result. Yeah. So unless this is the fight where Dobson reveals a, uh, an as yet unseen willingness to just sit in somebody's guard and hold them down. Um, yeah, I think Petrosian's going to get lots and lots of time to rack up points. Yep. And also Dobson will um, possibly fall apart as he gets tired and, and continues yeah. taking damage in a way that a guy like Rodriguez never will. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking Petrosian as well. Yeah, like I say, for Dobson, it's just kind of one of those things where I just, you know, this is why I, I really wish that, A, I wish the UFC, for as low as they pay, I wish they didn't pay so much better than most other, like, you know, there's still like a whole bed of regional MMA. Yeah. Where it, true prospects should not be in the UFC. Yeah. The UFC, I mean, we, um, Phil and I talked about this recently. We were talking about, you know, like, um, um, Who's uh who's Bellator's guy uh, Adam or uh, uh, Aaron, Aaron Pico? Aaron Pico. Um, we're talking about uh, and Bo Nickel. You know, like the the uh, so often in the past, I have like critiqued the UFC for the way they handle these fighters. Mm-hmm. But what I sort of realized is like, what is the UFC supposed to do? Yeah, do I, the UFC is not an organization that is full of fodder. For developing fighters which like developing fighters and they don't just need a bunch of gimmies but what they do need is time yeah they need time to to build a well of experience where they can yes dominate some opponents some opponents but also run into trouble and get comfortable in fights where they can't just crush somebody and they have to win patiently and you need experience yeah. to get better and you need time and not just time in fights time in the gym yeah like and the ufc is just it's not designed to do that, nor should it be. No. It should really be the organization where all the finished products go to find out who's the best of the best. Yep. And um, it's, it's, ju- it's simply not. The roster is not set up with enough, uh, enough like measured tests. You, you, you beat one of the few guys like that that there are in your whatever division you're in. And then, boom, you're fighting someone better. And there's so much parity between the your bottom 80% and the top 15 in any division that, like, you're fighting guys who are pretty close to top 15 quality pretty damn quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, guys like guys like Dobson and, frankly, Petrosian, too, really shouldn't be in the UFC. For what it is, um, it's good matchmaking because I think these yeah. it's, it's a fight that Dobson might be able to show some improvements and win. Um, and Petrosian can continue working on the sort of toughness and resourcefulness he showed against Rodriguez. Yeah. But and to be fair too, like this is the other thing with MMA is looking at too. Like Dobson is thirty and Petrosian is thirty one. Yeah. So like they might not have been pro for a long but neither of them have been pro for very long. Yeah. But like these are people who need income. Right. These are people who need to have their own house their own apartment, their own, you know, they need to be supporting a family probably. Mm -hmm. And they need to have things like 
They got bills and insurance. But yeah, and insurance and retirement to start planning for and like a whole life that you actually have to function. They're not 17-year-olds. Right. So there really is not a lot of, you know, like get there's not going to be a push for their manager to be like, no, we need to slow play you some more, give you four or five years. And it's like, right. I'm 30. Yeah, yeah, you got to take the big gambles. But yeah, whoever wins this fight is getting cooked very soon because that's what the UFC is designed to do. Yeah. Um, and, and really, again, like um, whether I always like it or not, what the a, a organization like the UFC should be designed to do, it should be a, a, a one big series of conveyor belts to its titles. Yeah. Sorting out title challengers and champions and uh, guys like Petrosian and Dobson have no reason to think that they're in that conversation or will be soon. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Trojan opened at minus 210. He dropped down to minus 252. He's currently up at minus 213. Dobson opened at plus 180. He's currently down at plus 172. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Mohamed Malkaev, Malcolm Gordon, and... Uh, Mokaev. Yeah, Mokaev. That's, I mean... Malcolm Gordon got taken down almost immediately yeah. by uh, Dennis Bondar. Yeah. And he, in his fight with Francisco Figueredo, he went out and immediately hit a takedown and got swept immediately. Yep. Um, Gordon is unfortunately has, if he didn't know this already, and I have to think he did know it, um, has been shown time and time again to be too fragile to hang out and strike with anybody. Mm. He has it. He has a serious case of the match nullness mm-hmm. um, where like, you know, yeah, there's not, a, the, there may not be that many knockouts at flyweight, but if you've got a bad chin, boy, are a lot of people going to hit you like mm-hmm. that. It is a division full of guys who are technically capable of, of finding targets. Yeah. And, he he has to wrestle and grapple with people to survive, and that is what has gotten him wins in the UFC, the wins he has had. And uh, when he like, what is he going to do against Mohammed Mokhaev? Yeah, just yeah, stronger. Gordon's very crafty, very yeah, um, you know, strategically very flexible. But it's because he absolutely has to be yes, at low, even at lower levels to win anything. Yep. And Mokayev wants to do one thing and he does it quite well. Yeah, he's just going to horse him around. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout here. Mokayev is, <laughs> yeah, he opened at minus 700. He's at minus 1102. Gordon opened at plus 500. He's up at plus 687. Yeah, it's one of those. Why yeah. would anyone in Mokayev's position be that favored? And then you look at the matchup and you're like, yeah. It shouldn't be close. No. I mean, the only thing, like, most of uh, most of Gordon's wins are submissions, and you watch the, you know, he he can go out and get an instant KO over some really bad opponents, but he gets KO'd immediately if he starts playing around like that against anybody better. And... Yeah, like his path to victory here would ha- it goes through the ground game, and it's just not that's not going to happen. Especially too, because he's not even more experienced than Mokayev. Like he's been a pro longer, but Mokayev, like that is, he is the kind of young 
fighter that like that is what I think that's like the ideal path for a young prospect in this sport. He's like he just stayed as an amateur for a long time, racked up a ton of experience against opponents that you know had no business who were never gonna be pro, who couldn't really even compete with them. But at the same time, he they got him a ton of comfort in the cage. So that now as as a a young pro, he's going out into fights and he doesn't feel like there's anything he hasn't seen before, even as his level of competition increases. Right. Anyway, women's bantamweight bout, Carol Hosa, Lena Landsberg. And uh, yeah, this is an easy pick for Carol Hosa as well. Uh, Yeah. She she showed a major hole in her game against the kind of wrestler like Sarah McMahon who could bring a level of wrestling to Hosa that she had never seen before. Right. Takedowns in positions where, you know, Hosa was defending a lot of the first shots. Yeah, yeah. She was struggling. She was doing well to like stay on her feet in initially, but any change up from McMahon at all was just suddenly like, okay, wow, I I'm not ready for this. I've never had to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Combined with McMahon's uh, overwhelming physicality. Yeah, combined with McMahon's strength and power and physicality. And in Lena Landsberg, she's got somebody who doesn't have that physicality, doesn't have that strength, and who also depends heavily on taking people down, but almost entirely just from dragging people down from a body lock. Yeah, and clenches where Hosa is actually quite a capable clinch fighter. Yes. And whenever Landsberg can't drag somebody to the mat and out-wrestle them, she loses. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I think Hosa's just gonna she's gonna be a good she's gonna be strong in the clinch she's gonna throw a lot more she's gonna land a lot more she's gonna be tough and consistent and should be a pretty strong victory and you know for Landsberg it's she's forty and she's never had a physical game but she's always had a game that relies on her physicality right. And that's, she's very tough and she's grimy and gritty yep. and um, yeah, I mean, not, not cut out to beat a well-rounded, more physical, younger. Yeah. If I am, if I am Lena Landsberg, I am proud as hell that I went out there and I beat Tanya Evinger and Macy Chasen. Oh my God. And I did that at like 38. Huge you know? feathers in her cap. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, otherwise you're probably running towards the end of your career and it's not going to have a lot of competitive fights left in it. Mm-hmm. She did those things and she lasted uh, seven and a half minutes with Chris Cyborg. Yep. Why not? She's, she's, she's got some serious, some serious. Oh yeah, she did. you're right. No. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. She did fight Chris Cyborg. My God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh huh. Yeah. All right. Uh, those are some serious credentials, but yeah, Hosa's going to beat her virtually however she wants. If Hosa doesn't, if Hosa somehow, like, even at points gets out-wrestled by Landsberg, she's got some serious yeah. reevaluating to do, but um, yeah. That, so, that is the rail firmly off of her as a bantamweight prospect. Yeah. But so far, the, the McMahon uh, win, while, yeah, like an upset and surprising to me, I hadn't realized that she had that weakness. It happens to fighters yeah. in Hosa's position. She's 27. And, she's already reasonably experienced. And, uh, and, and who's going to replicate that? Exactly. McMahon is one of the very few fighters in this division who can do anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, Hosa opened at minus 275, jumped up to minus 230, is currently down at minus 324. Landsberg opened at plus 235, dropped down to plus 194, and is currently up at plus 250. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Hosa should be a reasonably sizable favorite. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap it up. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyolo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Oak Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll see you next week for UFC Fight Night, Cater versus Allen. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, The Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>